I'll get you to take your Bibles, go to the book of Joshua, please, the book of Joshua. We're going to um, give you a message here, uh, just a general message, nothing tied to anything I've been preaching on for the last uh, while, uh, nothing too terribly complicated. But basically, I just want to preach a message called uh, Testing the Genuineness of Our Heart for God. Testing the Genuineness of Our Heart for God. Um, we know the heart, that's really what it's about for us. It's uh, not ritualism, it's not about you doing this and that, evil doing is important, but most of the time we do what's in our heart, amen? The heart is where it begins, and uh, we see that in the Old Testament. Uh, sometimes we think, oh, the Old Testament is all about doing, and the New Testament is about the heart, but in all reality, the Lord gave the message right from the start. It's always about the heart, it always is. Some scripture we see in Deuteronomy 4.29, it says, For from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. That means you're not going to find God unless you seek him with your heart. Amen? You, know, you don't have to climb any mountains. You don't have to travel to a different country. You don't have to go to Mecca. You don't have to go places like that. You can find God right where you are if your heart is seeking him. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. Genesis 6.5 gave us that... Uh, prescription of the heart of man uh, at, before the flood. It says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and the every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's a hard thing to imagine, how that a heart could imagine, would uh, be full of imaginations that are evil continually. That doesn't mean they're always thinking of necessarily bad things, but it just means that the things that are in your heart are not tending to your, the best interests of your life. <laughs> evil is really damage. Evil is almost an action word. What it does, it means that something is going to be hurt. Uh, the Bible talks about doing evil to someone. <laughs> it's talking about doing damage. And if there's something evil, it will hurt you. <laughs> Amen? And so what it's saying there is that the imagination of the thoughts of the heart, because it wasn't uh, centered in the word of God and centered in truth, it was centered in lies. Everything they decided to do, everywhere they wanted to go, everything they wanted to be a part of was hurting them and not helping them. And that's kind of the world we live in today, isn't it? Uh, Exodus 7.3, it talks about Pharaoh. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. So he's dealing with Pharaoh's heart. Leviticus 19.17, Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart, Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor, not suffer sin upon him. So the heart is the issue with our hate. 1 Samuel 13, 14, But now thy kingdom shall, con shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And we know that was David. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Amen. So the Lord was looking for a man with a heart, after God, because that kind of heart is a heart that listens to God and obeys him. First yeah, Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now I know something, folks. We've got to be careful about how we think today, because I've seen within modern Christianity this idea that, Oh, well, the Lord knows my heart. <laughs> Folks, that's the most awesome statement you could ever make is that the Lord knows your heart and it not, not be said very lightly because you don't even know your own heart and the Lord knows your heart 
and your heart is not necessarily as good as you think it is. In fact, the Bible says your heart is desperately wicked. <laughs> it's deceitful above all things. So don't use your heart as an excuse for why you're doing wrong. Well, I know I'm not doing the right thing, but the Lord knows my heart. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, but you're doing the wrong things because of your heart. And then your heart not only got you to do the wrong things, but then it deceived you to think that it doesn't matter what you do as long as you think good about your heart. Amen. So it's a very deceptive thing, your heart, <laughs> you know. Another point to point out in this thing is it says, um, man looketh on the outward appearance. So that may sound to you like something that doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, well, the man looketh on the outward. That doesn't really matter because the Lord looks on the heart. That's not what he's saying. He's giving you some facts here. Whatever your life is like, man will judge you by what you are on your outside, by what you do. And that's all they can do. They cannot judge your heart. They don't know what's inside of your heart. But what's on your outside and what you do becomes the criteria or the evidence that man sees for what probably is in your heart. And so they will make judgments. Well, don't judge me. I'm sorry, friends. It doesn't matter how much you say that. Every last one of us are going to judge things every single day of our life. That is just the way we ought to do things. We just got to be careful. We're not going to hypocritically judge things or people. But we're supposed to judge. In fact, the Bible says a spiritual man judgeth all things. All things. Not just some things. Everything. Amen. But be careful about judging people. Amen. 1 Kings 8.61, it says, Let your heart therefore be perfect with the Lord our God to walk in his statutes, to keep his commandments as at this day. So the heart is to be perfect. You ever met, met a man with a perfect heart? What does that mean? What does it mean for you to have a perfect heart? Does it mean that you've never done wrong? <laughs> no, you'll do wrong a lot. <laughs> but that doesn't mean your, your heart isn't perfect. David had a perfect heart, but yet he did a lot of things that were wrong. In fact, you'll see some kings, God says, oh, and they had a perfect heart. And you say, what? And you scratch your head. doesn't make sense to me, God. Why would you say he had a perfect heart? Because the perfectness of your heart is dependent upon where you set your heart. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're always going to make the best decisions. <laughs> see, David, no matter what happened in his life, he never turned his heart away from God. Yeah. He, always, he always responded to God. Even when he sinned with adultery and so forth, when the, when the preacher came to him and pointed his finger and said, Thou art the man, David. You know, David wasn't like Saul. See, Saul immediately started to defend himself. And all he cared about was his position and how he looked before the people. But David immediately said, I have sinned. Yeah. Amen. So God constantly dealt with David, and David always responded to God because his heart was perfect towards him. So just because you mess up doesn't mean your heart's not perfect. It just means if God's speaking to you, are listening, <laughs> you know, because you can be brought into a deception. You can be in a place where you catch yourself and say, you know what, I shouldn't have been living this way. I don't know why I made that decision, <laughs> you know. Maybe you hear the preacher or maybe a friend is telling you, hey, the Bible says this, and you, oh, yeah, I know the Bible says that, and I'm going to change my life. Well, you've got a perfect heart, amen? So we've got to remember that. Second Chronicles 16.9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore my henceforth thou shalt have wars. Because this, this king, 
he began to turn to other kings for help. Kings that were worshiping false gods. And so the man of God rebuked him and says, hey, the Lord's looking for a perfect heart here. (laughs) And a perfect heart doesn't turn to people that worship false gods. He turns to God. Amen. And that's who the Lord's going to show himself strong on behalf of. So as we look at the heart, it's amazing how the physical heart and the spiritual heart really, um, they really have the same type of dynamics. When you look at them, I think the Lord gave us the physical heart to kind of demonstrate what the spiritual heart really is. The physical heart is right here in my chest. You know, the Bible talks about the breastplate of righteousness, the protection of my heart. Amen. But we're not talking about the physical heart as a breastplate. We're not saying that the breastplate needs to protect my pumper. (laughs) Amen. But the breastplate protects my spiritual heart. The physical heart, you know that it'll continue beating even if all the nerves are severed? Say, well, how in the world would your heart beat if all the nerves were severed? (laughs) Because the cells that are in the heart are just like the brain. The brain functions sometimes without the rest of the body. And the heart can actually function without the brain. It actually functions in itself. It's got its own mechanism, you know. So your heart and your mind, these two different things, they got great power in your life, you know. That's why the Bible says believe in your heart. Some people believe in their mind. We've got to believe in our heart. The heart beats like 75 times a minute with some people. I don't know, sometimes more, sometimes less. That's about 40 million times a year. That's 2.5 billion times by the time you're 70 years old. That's quite, a, quite an invention God gave us, amen? One beat pumps four ounces of blood. That's 3,000 gallons a day your heart pumps. You try to find a pump that does that. Yeah. <laughs> Even Honda can't do that, I don't think. One million gallons a year, and that is consistently... I don't think there's any pump on this planet that you can start up and let it run for a year to pump a million gallons without it stopping. Or breaking down. <laughs> or breaking down. You know, it produces enough energy in one day to raise a 75-ton train car in the air. Your heart is an amazing thing. Amazing thing. And it's amazing that your spiritual heart it affects your physical heart. So the strength of your physical heart is many times determined by your spiritual life. So if your, spirit, if your physical heart is, is so powerful, can you imagine how strong your spiritual heart is? Now, it's not pumping blood. A medical researcher at John Hopkins University found out that attending church is good for your heart. So being at church is actually good for your ticker. <laughs> Amen. The Bible says in Proverbs 17, 22, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth up the bones. Proverbs 4, 23, God says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Everything you're going through in life is based upon what you've allowed inside this heart of yours, a spiritual one, (laughs) amen. And many times our physical life is hurting because we've allowed things in our spiritual heart that ought not be there. So we have to be diligent. The Bible says keep. That means guard, protect your heart with all diligence. This is one of those 
old fuddy-duddy fundamental preacher things that the world doesn't like. When the preacher says, don't do this and don't do that, and all he's trying to do is protect your heart. Because the Bible says so. Joshua, in Joshua 21, 22, uh, coming to the end of his life, was used by God in a great way to bring Israel to a place of, of blessing within the promised land. Uh, he was given the leadership of bringing the tribes into the promised land and helping them overcome the enemy that is actually, was actually living in the promised land. And uh, many of them did. Some of them didn't. Some of them left the enemy live in the promised land, and they, they suffered because of that. Joshua 21, verse 43, says this, And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about, according to all that he sware unto his fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Isn't that great? That if you, if you will take on the enemy, the Lord will help you overcome all your enemies in life. And we're not talking about people here. Amen. In the Old Testament, it's people. But your, your, your enemies aren't people. <laughs> because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principality and powers. That means our enemy, we're not wrestling against people beside us. You're not wrestling against somebody that doesn't like you on the job site. That's not your enemy. Your enemy is the devil that's been trying to get underneath your skin. <laughs> that your enemy is a devil that's been trying to get you to get bitter at people and angry and, and deal with the, the issues of your heart and, and to continue on in anger. <laughs> that's, that's your enemy. But the people around you are not your enemy. In Joshua 22, verse 2, it says this, And he said unto them, Ye have kept all that Moses' servant of the Lord commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. Ye have not left your brethren these many days unto this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God hath given rest unto your brethren. And as he promised them, now, therefore now return ye and get you unto your tents and unto the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Now he's talking about the tribe of Reuben, because they were going to stay on the other side of the Jordan. But he says, you can't just, you just can't duck out on all the battles here, man. I mean, <laughs> we all fought to get you this land. So you're coming with us into the land. You're going to help us to defeat these enemies. And once you're done, then you can go back to the other side of Jordan. And so that was the deal, and they kept their deal. And so, but take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you. And so he gives us now five things that are a test of your genuineness to God. He says to love the Lord your God. Number two, and to walk in all his ways. Number three, and to keep his commandments. And number four, and to cleave unto him. And number five, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went unto their tents. Five tests of your genuineness towards the Lord. Number one is love the Lord. What is this? This is a commitment of your affections. This is an aspect of your heart. We always, uh, Valentine's Day, what do you have on the card? A little heart. <laughs> because what? What are we talking about? We're talking about love, right? Love always has to do with the heart. And it's true. 
and where your heart is, the Bible says, there will you, or where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so, 1 John chapter 2 gives us a warning. It says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, this sounds good, but what I find sometimes is people say, oh, yeah, yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> but they're doing it. <laughs> you know, they're, they're loving the world, but they're pretending they're not, you know. Uh, folks, you know, there, there's real evidence whether you're loving the world or loving God. And it's important because in this passage it says, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That means if your love is somehow pointed towards this world, you don't love God. And you can tell everybody, oh, I love God, I love God. I'm sorry, if you love the world, you don't love God. <laughs> but the Bible says, if you will love the Father then you will not love the world. But there's no in-between. There's no kind of half-and-half type deal here. You can't give half your heart to the world, half your heart to God. God will not accept it. He's, unless I can have it all, I don't want any of it. <laughs> Amen? Because you can't. You can't give half your heart to the world, half your heart to God, because the world will always challenge your relationship with God. Yeah. And if you've got a love for the world, the world will always cause you to turn your love from God to the, back to the world. And God will constantly be challenging you to give everything to him. And so when it comes to missions time and you, you want to help some missionaries, and well, there's that dollar. Well, maybe it's even going to the missions conference. Well, you know, I can't miss work. You've you got to understand something here. I understand sometimes you just can't do it. and You don't want to just quit your job over a missions conference. But I'm going to tell you something. Many times it's a matter of your love issue. Uh, I'm, this isn't my first rodeo, <laughs> you know what I mean? I have dealt with thousands of Christians in my life. I've seen men and women that have dedicated their life to do the things of God, and they never let their job, they never let an obstacle or anything else stand in the way. And so when people come to me, well, I can't, I can't, I can't. <laughs> no, you can, but you just don't love him enough. You just don't love him enough. Well, you can get mad at me for saying that and say, preacher, well, you're just me. No, you just need someone to tell you that. You do. Interesting thing, I was at the uh, conference, my brother's church this week. They were having some testimonies at the men's breakfast. And there was like two or three men that got up. And what they said was this. They said, you know, the Lord has really been teaching me that I love money too much. Have you ever got to the point where you realize you love money? The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. You'd say, oh, no, no, I would never love money. Don't be so quick to make that judgment until you have evaluated some of your decisions in life. Because it just may be that you do love money more than you think you do. <laughs> it may be that the m money has your heart more than you think. So I'm just saying, don't just flippantly say, I don't love money. Or don't just flippantly say, oh, I love God. There's a test of this thing. There's a genuineness to this. And that's the first part that we need to overcome here. Do we truly love God? Now, the fact that you're here tonight shows somewhat that you do. You could have been at home. Is there a hockey game tonight? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, if there's something that you wanted to be at tonight and, and you really wanted it and you decided to come here, that was a test of your genuineness. Well, I just come here anyways. Well, then maybe not so much a test, but it still is. 
But there's going to be some things in your life that are going to test you. You know, sometimes, well, you got a little bit of a headache, and well, you go to church, and you got to listen to the preacher, and he preaches too long, and you know, you got all these reasons. See, it's not my fault. <laughs> it's your heart. So you got to get got to get right with God. Amen. You got to start loving God with your heart. You got to. It's a commitment of your affections, is what it is. That's what loving the Lord is, a commitment of your affections to the Lord. See, what we focus on is what we tend to love. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The thing that you value the most, that's what you're going to love. The thing that you talk about the most is the thing that you love. (laughs) You ever talk about Jesus? You ever talk about the Word of God? You ever talk about how you love your church? How do you love the Word of God, the preaching, and so forth? Well, I don't like the preaching. Well, there's a problem. You have to love your church. You have to love your church family. The Bible says you don't love the children of God, you don't love God. That's 1 John. That's a test of whether you love God, is whether you love the children of God. <laughs> but if all you say, oh, they're a bunch of hypocrites. <laughs> the problem isn't them because they're just like you. They're just like you. The problem is you don't love God enough to love them. And if you would love God enough and then you could start loving the people, you'd see that, you know what? They're probably just like me, and we just need to help each other. Amen? Instead of being critical. Um, Solomon. See, this is why it says here in First Kings verse 11, verse 14, remember we talked about the perfect heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was, as was the heart of David his father. So there you have the definition of what a perfect heart really means. So he turned his heart after other gods. Now, why did he do this? Do, do you automatically one day just say, oh, I'm going to go turn to a different god? <laughs> no. And the Bible does say that we as Christians, we do have idols in our heart. So even though you're a Christian, you'd never think that I'd worship any little Buddha or stuff like that. That may not be the god you're talking about, but there are some idols in your life that may be just like worshiping a Buddha, just like it. (laughs) But Solomon, it wasn't that he just turned to these gods. He never started looking for the gods. He didn't just want the gods. He he knew who his god was. But do you know how he got him? You know how the devil got him? (laughs) He loved the women, his lusts, his desires. See, it's your desires that will lead you away from the Lord. (laughs) It's your desires that will bring you to a false god in your life. To an idol. Amen. And that's why I have to be very careful that our desires, our flesh is crucified. <laughs> we put it to death every day. We have to wake up and say, Lord, this day is yours. <laughs> what I do today is what you want me to do. What I say today is what you want me to say. You know, and the people I'm around are the people that you want me to be with. The activities that I'm doing, these are things that you want me to be active in. <laughs> Amen. That's what it means to love God, you know? Love for God is evident by our focus on the things of God. In Colossians 3, verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things that are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. So your affections have to be sent upward, not worldward. Amen? And you know, it's, it's hard sometimes. It's, it's very easy 
for us to get our hearts all over this world. It's like this. Well, you know what I ought to do? I just want to travel with my life. That's my desire. I just want hold on there. What does that mean? Well, why can't I go travel? Well, you can go do whatever you want, but you can't do whatever you want and say that you love God. Do you understand? You are created as a free will agent, and God allows you to choose whatever you want to do, but you can't just do whatever you want to do and say that you love God. Amen? So I always tell people, well, I want to go travel. I say, where do you go to church? They never have an answer. <laughs> well, I'll just stop in wherever. Well, that's not church. Visiting a... Visiting a, a church is not a, your church. A church is the people. It's the connection you have with the people of God. It's a, you're a part of the member. You're, you're the pinky. You're the, you're, you're the knee. You're the foot. You're the ear. You're the eye. You're the nose. You're a part of the body, and you're, you're, the Bible says that you're delivering into that body strength so that body becomes stronger. So why would I forsake God's plan of the local church and my place in it just so I can go travel? And yet it makes perfect sense to the world to say, yes, go and do that. Not to say you can't travel and go on vacations, whatever you want to do. But you know what? That's not what people say. I want to take the last 10, 20 years of my life and just travel. Well, folks, you're going to waste the last 10, 20 years of your life. Yeah, but I got such a short time. No, you don't. In fact, this time here is a short time. It's like a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. I mean, if I want to go visit Israel, I want to go visit Africa, I'll have a thousand years to do it after the rapture. But right now, I need to be here for you. <laughs> you understand? And I do that because I love God. Or I could go run around. <laughs> Just go wherever I want. See, you know, my faith takes me past this, this dispensation of time. Love to go see all these places, but you know what? It's still going to be there when, you know, well, it might be a little different, you know, after the tribulation, there might be some changes happening. But the Lord will fix up a lot of that in his kingdom. It'll be better than it was before. Amen? Then, of course, after a thousand years, then the new earth will come. Then it'll be great. <laughs> it'll be perfect. So let's not sell out on the final 20 years of our life in the only time that you will ever have to please God by faith and yet we're going to sell out to travel when for the rest of your eternity you're going to have the ability to discover and travel and not even get tired doing it. So don't give it all away now. <laughs> Amen. Now's the time for us to work and serve God. Now's the time for us to do what God's asked us to do. We're called to do a work. We're called to reach souls for Christ. That's what we need to do. We need to give our life to it, not give our life to what we want in our lust of our heart. Let's love God. Well, I just don't, well, then believe God. Believe him first. Then you'll love him. Amen. Love for God, that's the first test of genuineness. It'll be evident in your focus on the things of God. Like I said, you'll, you'll probably spend more time in God's word rather than neglecting God's word daily. If you truly love God, you'll spend time in the Bible. If you love God, you'll be faithful to the house of God rather than forsaking it any old chance you get. Some of us can't wait to get a sniffle so we can stay home. Some of us get a sniffle and we think, man, I'm going to kick the dog because I can't go to church. 
Some of us have a devil say, I'm just going to plug it so nobody knows. I'm going to church anyways. God give us men and women that are faithful. I, I'm sorry, you may think I'm just an old fuddy-duddy and I'm just going too far, but I want to tell you something. We've got a God that's far more than you think. Far more than you think. And whatever that watered-down God is that this world is trying to sell you, he is not real. The one that is real is that one that says, when I come, will I find faith on the earth? Amen. He's going to be looking. <laughs> Faithfulness to the house of God. Meditation. God's goodness. Rather than thinking on your selfish desires, you know. Do you think about God a lot? All I know is people that sit around and just jabber and criticize and talk down on people, they don't think about God. Bible says Romans chapter 1, there are people that they do, like, do not like to retain God in their knowledge. That's why they want to shut down the churches. That's why they want to close the Bibles. That's why they, they don't want us to preach anymore. They just, just be quiet, you Christians. Amen. They don't want to retain God in their knowledge. But they need God in their knowledge, and we got to continue to preach, even though they don't want to hear it. Amen? You know what nurses are taught when caring for newborn babies? To keep their face in front of the baby until they can focus on them. And then the baby continues to gain weight and grow. So they're taught that. So you got to be careful with little babies when they're just born. If you don't take time and let them look at you, and focus, because their eyes are kind of, you know, they're just kind of <laughs> trying to get their little eyes on you. You give them the time to do that, because when you allow them to focus on you, that's when they become strong. That's when they begin to grow. That's what you are. You start getting your eyes all over this world. You're not going to grow. you got to learn to focus. And it's, it's just like a little baby. They don't know how to do it. They're just learning. They're trying to... <laughs> I don't know how many Christians I talk to. Oh, I don't know how to read my Bible faithfully. I don't know how to pray right. Well, I'll tell you something. <laughs> just keep on doing it. Every day, you just keep on doing it. You just keep refocusing, just like that little newborn baby whose eyes just, you know, <laughs> because if they can just latch on, they'll become stronger. The hymn writer wrote, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth shall go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. If you don't focus on Christ, you don't look him in the face, this world is going to take you over. But if you can start focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ, all these earthly things are just going to start fading to the side. It's, like, it's like, wow, why did I ever love that in the first place? You know? You ever found that before you were saved, you did all these kind of things you thought were so important, then Christ got in your life, you started focusing on him and saying, why do I even like to do that? <laughs> That's a Christian life. You're shedding things all the time, and you ought to still be shedding things, day after day after day. Amen? So I never shed anything. Well, maybe you need Jesus, <laughs> you know, because your life ought to be, have, have to be shedding things, and maybe there's some things that you need to shed, but you're not going to shed them if you don't get your eyes focused right. The second test of genuineness, I don't think we're going to get done here because I'm trying to keep this short, amen, <laughs> is walk in all his ways. This is a commitment of direction, commitment of direction. First Samuel 12, verse 20, it says, And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, 
You've done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord. But serve the Lord with all your heart. And turn ye not aside, for then should you go after vain things, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. Amen. Walking. Walking is a step-by-step action. When you talk about walking with God, we're not talking about rituals. We're not talking about, uh, you know, a big picture thing. We're talking about looking in front of you and taking that next step where the Lord wants you to take it. Amos 3.3 says, um, can two walk together except they be agreed? So you're not going to walk with God if you're not in agreement with him. It, It doesn't matter... Well, <laughs> we live in a day and age where Christians say, well, God agrees with me. <laughs> it's kind of like Joshua meeting the captain of the host and going to the captain and says, uh, are you with them or are you with us? And the captain says, nay. <laughs> you got to remember that. The captain of the host was not on Joshua's side or on the enemy's side. He just asked Joshua, he looked him straight in the eye, he says, are you on my side? Yeah. Some of us are wondering whether, you know, God's on our side or God's on their side. It's not about that. It's about whether you're on God's side. It's not making God to be who you think he ought to be. That is not going to work. God is far above you. His ways are above your ways. His thoughts are above your thoughts. And stop trying to tell him who he is. Those are the two of the greatest sins that a person can do is, is start telling God who he thinks he is. Well, I think if Jesus were here, he would come to me in the bar and drink with me. Well, I'm sorry, that's not the God I, of the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. And you may be walking into the bar, but Jesus isn't walking with you. Do you understand that? But yet we've got a God after our own fa- the fabrication of our own heart, and we're designing him to fit our own lusts and desires. You've got to remember, throughout the scriptures, that's what they always did. When they fabricated that God of gold and silver, they would give it a title that would reflect something that they want. Hey, you're this God because we want you to give us prosperity in our crops. God says, you don't have to make no idol for that. You just have to follow me and trust me and I'll bless you. But they make a little idol and bow down to it. Even kill some people and shed the blood on there. Now you're going to give me good crops. No, you don't tell God who he is. You know another thing you don't do? You don't tell God who you are. That's as equally as important as not telling God who he is. Too many people are so full of ideas about who you think you are, and you're totally wrong. (laughs) I lived over half of my life believing wrong about myself. And all it did is bring me into depression, gave me thoughts of suicide, made me think that I couldn't be anything for anybody I was worth spit. That was the devil's tactic. He wants to get into your mind and tell you, well, you're just worthless and you're unlovable and nobody cares about you and so forth and on and on. Well, I'm sorry, that is just not true. Stop telling God who he is and stop telling God who you think you are because he knows who you are. In fact, he knows you far better than you know yourself. And all you have to do is say, Lord, show me who I am. And that'll be a lifelong discovery where he's going to start peeling away the onion layers of lies from your life so you can finally start seeing exactly who God made you to be. Amen? Walking with God. Enoch walked with God. Genesis 5.22, and Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. 
Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Trust him. Lean not unto your own understanding. You know, you have the preacher say, hey, the Bible says this. Well, I hear what you say, preacher, but you're going to understand that this is where I came from and this is what I know and you don't know my life and all you're doing is just what you're doing. You're just leaning against your understanding. You know, I trust that God of yours, but I'm just too busy leaning on my understanding. Well, maybe you just need to forget your understanding and start trusting God. It does, it, you know, it did, <laughs> I'll tell you something. If God told me to walk across a Red Sea, he says, you're going to walk across it, I'd say that is beyond my understanding. So they just simply have to trust God. <laughs> if they had to lean to their understanding, they'd all be climbing up cliffs trying to escape the Egyptians probably falling off and killing themselves. But they had, at some point, they just had to believe that God could do what God needed to do for your life. Amen? The Word of God reveals God's will for our lives. That's why Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So it's like a little flashlight. You know what a flashlight... I know they got these flashlights today. You can turn them on. You can see like five miles, <laughs> front and sideways. I'm saying, what in the world is in those things? But that's not the way God is a lot of the time. Sometimes he does give you a, a real long projected light where I can see exactly, I can see the great white throne judgment. <laughs> but you know, for your practical life, you know what he does? He gives you a little flashlight, a little verse, and then he shines it right in front of your feet. <laughs> now, I don't see five feet up the road here. <laughs> But all I know is I can take this step, and that's all I do. I just go like this. Made it. <laughs> and the Lord will treat you like that and build your faith step by step. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet <laughs> and a light into my path, talking about the long haul. There are some things that he, he does show you the long distance. But most of your life, most of your walk with God, he just takes his light and shines it at your feet because that's where your faith is built. Amen? A genuine heart for God is one that is committed to walk in the direction that God is going. And I told you I was going to shut down early here, and I'm going to keep my promise. Amen? Let's bow our heads. <laughs> We've got three more tests. We'll look at that next week. The commitment of your affections, the commitment of your direction. Where are you? Where are you? So I want to encourage you today, if you're here today, you don't know Christ as your Savior. Can I tell you that if you don't have Jesus in your heart, you really have not started anything yet. You cannot, you don't even know which way to go. And you can pretend, but you don't have a personal walk with God. And you don't know him. And you're in your sins. That means he's not cleansed you and imputed to you his righteousness so you can stand before the Lord one day. So if you're here today without Christ, I want to encourage you to make that decision tonight. And I just want us, with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, nobody's looking because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you're here tonight, you'd say, you know, Pastor, I don't know if I know Jesus as my Savior 
I'm not asking if you've gone to church your whole life. I'm not asking if you've been in a religious family. That has nothing to do with your salvation. Salvation is a personal decision that you make based on what you know that Jesus Christ did for you on that cross. Have you personally applied that to your heart? And you'd say, preacher, I think I may need to get this settled in my life. I, I think maybe I need to be saved. And I don't want to point you out, but I'd like to be able to pray for you. And if you're here, you say, that's me. I just want you to slip up your hand real quick so I can see it, so I can pray for you, because I do care. You're among friends here. Nobody's going to ever embarrass you. We do care about your soul. We want you to be saved. We want you to know heaven and go there when you die and experience heaven on earth while you're still here. So if you'd say, pray for me, preacher. I'm not sure if I'm saved. Just slip your hand up and I'll pray for you. I see your hand. God bless you, son. Anybody else? All right. Christian, let me just encourage you. Where's your heart? Where's your love? You can ask yourself, where were you before this came to church tonight? Were you a little disgruntled and arguing and fussing and fighting that you had to get into a cold car and drive down the road to this church? Is there something wrong with your love? Maybe you need to repent of that. Say, Lord, you know what? I failed that test. I'm not as genuine as I thought I was. Maybe I love this world too much. And I've let this world dictate my love. And I'm, I'm done with that. I want to put the Lord first. <laughs> I've got such a little time left before Jesus comes again, before I die. Life is but a vapor. appears for a little time, vanishes away. And I just want to use the rest of my time loving God and doing what he wants me to do. Or what about your direction, your walk? The steps you're taking. You took some steps today. Did your steps, would they be something that the Lord be pleased with? The Bible says that Enoch walked with God. He pleased him. And the Bible says that God translated him. He just said, you're walking with me all the way to heaven today. 